0: Today our subject is steps to effective prayer. How many of you know that Pastor Cole likes to be a practical preacher? Raise your hand. I like to make the gospel practical. I like to give people things that they can take and live out. I said to you probably the first Sunday of the month, there are many, many books on prayer and you can read them all, but you can miss the most important part of prayer and that is to pray. And so I want to help you pray, literally, to put this into motion in your life. Effective steps to prayer. Now, verse number 8 in Leviticus 26 is a key verse in our lesson this morning. Five of you shall chase a hundred, and a hundred of you shall put ten thousand to flight. The New Testament in Matthew 18 says that if two of you will agree as touching anything they ask in prayer, it will be done. The power of numbers, the power of joining together in prayer. Five in prayer can chase a hundred and 100 can chase 10,000. Isn't that terrific? The corporate prayer is important as well as the closet prayer. Can you imagine the dynamite that is resident in this large gathering of people this morning? If five chase 100 and 100 chase 10,000, Think of the dynamite that's here if we just agree together in prayer and pray right. The devil trembles at the possibilities. Now, three years ago, it was our joy to invite to this pulpit Dr. Larry Lee, who gave us a wonderful prayer conference. We started 6 a.m. prayer meetings. And I can remember as many as 200 being out in those early days to those 6 a.m. prayer meetings. Three years later, it is not that good. And in staff meeting on Friday, we talked about that. And the question rose, should we invite Larry Lee back again? Would that be a good idea? And all of us thought it would be wonderful if that could be but he's a very busy man, and it had no more than been mentioned that I felt a quickening in my spirit. And what I felt was this, if it takes a Larry Lee or a Dick Eastman or whoever, then we're on the wrong track. The important thing to remember is that five can chase a hundred, and a hundred can chase ten thousand. And the more we have praying, the greater the victory. The more that participate, the greater the effect. And so I just felt compelled to stand again and remind you that those prayer meetings are still on. One day this week, the number was down to six instead of 200. I think it's time for us to recognize that that 5 o'clock prayer meeting on Sunday, the 6 a.m. prayer meetings Monday through Friday, the 7 prayer meeting on Saturday night, the 168-hour prayer room, which still has a few slots open, are vital that we chase the enemy out of our midst and win the victory through prayer. I think it's vital. That's what this passage is teaching us. Now, what are the needs? In a typical week, The needs could be summarized kind of this way. As one person said to me, Pastor, I have no job. I'm desperate. What shall I do? Well, I can say we will pray. I know that God wants every one of his children to have their needs met. I believe that. And many are finding their needs met as we pray and come to God sincerely. One lady came to me and said, My husband beat me. What shall I do? There is a spirit of anger and there is a spirit of uh, fighting that is around us today. Be it the gangs out there on the street or be it families that are fighting. It is not uncommon anymore for people to say, my husband beat me, or a young person to come to me and say, my father abuses me, what shall I do? We need to chase that enemy out of our camp. One lady said, my daughter has cancer, please pray for her. Would you believe that one lady said to me, my husband is smoking marijuana, what do I do now? I just found out. One said, My husband is seeing another woman. Bless her heart, she said, Pray with me for his salvation. I admired her for that. She didn't pray that the sky would fall in on him, which he probably deserves, but she prayed or wanted me to pray with her that he would be saved. That's noble. Well, these are just a few samples of what comes our way week by week, almost day by day. Incredible need. And if we're going to chase these enemies, as the Bible says, we are going to have to use the arithmetic of the Bible and recognize that the more that participate, the greater the victory is going to be so plug in don't leave it up to other people now i want to encourage you to either write these things down or pick up a tape after service and listen until you've got it memorized number 1 the simplicity of prayer we have to realize that prayer does not need to become complicated Don't overcomplicate prayer. Prayer is a conversation between God and yourself, and plain everyday English will do. I love the new converts when they pray, because they bring the language of the street in their prayers. And sometimes I've had to open my eyes kind of with a start when I heard certain things coming out of their mouths, but I'd rather have it a little coarse than I would to have all of this piousness in our prayers. It seems that some of us have become King James. and we have lost the beauty of simple conversation with god like help or i hurt i came across the scripture and i'd read it many times but it never hit me the way it did for this message it's in exodus chapter 33 it's about moses of course and it's God's dealings with Moses and conversation with Moses in verse 11. Exodus thirty-three eleven. Listen to this. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Now that last part really caught me. As a man speaks to his friend. I thought if God talk to Moses that way, then God must want Moses to talk to God that way. Or John, or Mary, or whoever. We don't need to learn new language. Prayer is not complicated. It's honest, simple expression. The first step in knowing how to pray is simply to talk the matter out with the Lord, just as you feel about it and in the language you use every day. And anybody on that basis can talk to God and be effective. It was highlighted for me in a story of a little four-year-old girl who was used to saying her prayers with her parents. But she went to a friend's house to stay overnight. And as she was going to be put to bed, she got down on her knees right next to her host or hostess, and she began to look to her friend for guidance as she got from her parents in prayer. Finding the hostess unable to help her, she concluded her prayer time this way, Please, God, excuse me. I can't remember my prayers, and I'm staying with the lady who don't know any. (laughs) And the reason a lot of folk don't think they know any is because they believe they've got to come to God with some facade or some piousness or some learned background in order to pray. And that is so far from the truth. God wants us to be just honest and open and talk to him as what? Friend talks with friend. Number two, prepare yourself spiritually for prayer. And there are two ways to do that. Number one, get on a good basis with God. How do you do that? You get out of your life sin. You confess your sin. You come to God honestly. You realize that you have not been able to hide anything from God. God knows everything about you. He knows everything you've done, everything you've thought. So why don't you just get it out in the open and say, God, I want to talk to you today, and the first thing I need to talk to you about is my own sin. Everybody needs to do that. I don't care who we are. I don't care how long we've been serving God. Be it an hour or a hundred years, we all need to get sin out of our life. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, to confess your sins, plural. He's talking to believers in 1 John about the daily exercise of confession. And I cannot tell you how many barriers we have built between ourselves and God because we have not been honest with God to confess our sins before him and get the channels open so our prayers can be effective. Please, as we chase the enemy out, let's remember that honesty and contriteness are absolute necessities to the power flowing through our prayers. The second part of that, preparing yourself spiritually, is to eliminate any hostility, any resentment or hatred toward any other human being when you have come to pray. In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said in verses 23 and 24, So if you are about to offer your gift to God at the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar and go at once to make peace with your brother, then come back and offer your gift to God. Now what was Jesus saying? If you're going to come and offer your prayers, but somebody back there has ought against you, leave your gift, get up, and go back to where that person is and settle accounts. Then come back and offer your gift to God and God will receive it or God will hear your prayer. You cannot harbor bitterness. You cannot harbor resentment. You cannot keep that Hate spirit churning and burning within you and have an effective prayer life. You need to get rid of it. Peter, the spokesman of the disciples, came to Jesus in Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 and 22, and he said to Jesus, Lord, how many times can my brother sin against me and I have to forgive him. And he's trying to impress Jesus, I suppose, so he answers with a question, seven times? He thought that sounded spiritual. I'm sure Peter thought that before I punch his lights out, I have to forgive him seven times. Then I can take this thing into my own hands. That's the way he was. And Jesus looked back at Peter, and he said, No, Peter, 70 times 7. Peter fainted. And when they got him revived, he learned a great lesson that you cannot carry ever, no matter how old the thing is or how fresh it is, resentments and bitterness and hatred and malice to the altar of God. You have to deal with that with the people involved and get rid of it. God will not hear your prayer. It will not be an effective prayer. Last night here in our facilities, we had the Teen Challenge banquet and graduation of the Alpha Henson Home Girls. Boy, it was powerful. One of those ladies off of the street, who has marvelously been converted and changed by the power of God, I would say about 30 years old, through her tears, said to that audience, Dad, please forgive me for the resentment that I have carried. Then she went on to say, this is the first night I have seen my father in 24 years. He accepted her invitation to that banquet to hear her testimony. And I'll tell you, something sprung up within me because that young lady just attained a great victory. As she forgave the man who obviously had hurt her deeply in her youth and possibly caused her to go out on the streets and get involved in horrible things. But by the grace of God has come to life and salvation. She did a very mature thing in the front of all of those people. Dad, forgive me for my spirit of resentment. That's what we've got to do, folk. Now, I didn't dream this up. If you don't like me for saying it, that's okay. But remember, it's Jesus that taught us this, and you've got to deal with him. If you want your prayers to be effective, that's how they become effective. One man said, well, I'm going to have to put it into practice, I guess. And he began to pray for his enemy, and he literally kept count. And he prayed 490 times and still felt it. And he prayed 490 more times, and he said, at that point, the peace of God filled his soul. And he said, I got rid of it forever, but it took two times, 70 times seven. You see, that's how deep it gets. That's how ornery we are. We want to hold on to it. Sort of feels good. Ah! But it blocks the door of heaven to your soul, and you've got to let it drain out to be healed. Some time back, I was invited to the state of Florida, Pensacola, to conduct a citywide training course for all of our churches there, and I was put up in a hotel at the edge of the city with no transportation. And they didn't host me very well. They just let me fend for myself, just pick me up for the sessions. And I I don't like to sit in a hotel room all day long. After study and prayer and all, you know, you finally feel like you'd like to go uh, take a walk or go see the town or something. So I found out they had a van at the hotel and it went into town. So I got on it just to walk around a little bit. And the driver said, now, when you want to come back, there's a bus that runs out by the hotel and or taxis. So I walked around a little. It didn't take me long. If my wife had been with me, it would have taken me an awful lot longer. <laughs> but it didn't take me long. I did find a church that interested me and went in and scoured it. But I got out onto that boulevard and started back toward the hotel looking for buses and taxis, and not a one ever passed me by. I walked 10 miles back to that hotel without ever seeing one. And when I got back there and they found out I'd done this, they said, you walked through that area? You should never walk through that area of town. Well, thanks a lot. (laughs) I thought it looked a little bit strange, but... Nonetheless, well, days later, my heel started to hurt something horrible. For I had dress shoes on walking those 10 miles, and my wife tells me that I walk hard on my heels. And I guess she's right, because I developed a blister there that hurt something awful, and it didn't go away. And I hate to take time to go to doctor's. Only when they force me do I go. The Bible says, Physician, heal thyself. So I take that as personal. I try to heal myself. But that thing kept hurting and hurting until I could hardly walk. I couldn't put any weight on it at all. And one day I was so fed up with that thing, I jerked my foot up. You know, I'm not double-jointed, but I had to get it up so I could see that heel. And I saw this Sore there, but it didn't make sense why it hurt so bad and wouldn't heal. And I got me a needle. I put it under the hot water so I would sterilize it, and I got to digging. And I found an opening beyond what I saw on the surface that went right up inside of my heel. And when that thing opened up, stuff came running out. And I thought, my goodness, would you look at that? (laughs) And I put my foot back down. It didn't hurt anymore. And the next day I was walking normally, and it didn't cost me a dime. (laughs) I was healed. But I learned something spiritual, that if you let that poison linger... In there, it's going to eat its way right on up through until you're not going to have a foot if you let it go too long. The same thing is true with the cankers and the cancers of your spirit. They eat away until if you do not deal with them, they will destroy you and they will keep you from the blessings of God. Prepare yourself spiritually. Confess your sin and get all ill will out of your life. Number three, thank him for everything. You remember in the Gospel of Luke when ten lepers were told by Jesus to go present themselves to the priest and they would be healed? They did. But only one of them came back to thank Jesus for the miracle. Nine of them went on their way without coming back to thank the one who provided them the healing touch. I'm afraid many of us are like that. The bridge between preparing yourself spiritually and seeing the answers to prayer is thanksgiving to God for all he has done and is doing in your life, even for the bad things that you think are happening to you. In Luke 6, 23, Jesus said something interesting. When men shall hate you and when they shall separate you from their company and shall reproach you and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake, rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Are you kidding? When men hate me? And separate me from their company and reproach me and cast out my name as evil. I'm to jump for joy, or as the Norwegians say, jump for joy. Absolutely. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in my infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. I have been battling this week's sore throat and stuffy head. Doesn't happen to me often, rarely, but it's not good for a preacher who has to talk all day. I woke myself up last night snorting. I came this morning for prayer time stuffed. And I got down before the Lord and reminded him what my responsibilities were today in case he had forgotten. (laughs) And then I thanked him for the opportunities that were mine to stand here with my slight infirmity and try to preach. So far I've made it. But it's not the way I would like it to be. And I have other things throughout this day that are going to keep me talking all day long but i've learned in romans 8:28 that we give god thanks for everything because he's working out his will and his purposes one thing i have discovered this morning i'm weak and when i acknowledge that with thanksgiving then i am strong and god works even through our infirmities. Thanksgiving is the word. Somebody has said the six most important words in the English language are, I admit I made a mistake. Somebody said the two most important words are, Thank you. And I believe that, especially when it comes to our Father who bestows such wonderful gifts upon us. Fourthly, visualize whatever it is you ask for as being granted. To me, that's faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things that we have not yet seen in reality. We see them through the eye of faith before we see them through the human eye. We have spiritual cataracts sometimes that need to be removed so that we can see the thing is being done before it happens. Faith says it's done. Do you think buildings like this are built before somebody envisions it and says, I know it's going to happen? No way. Have you envisioned your husband as being saved, ma'am? Have you envisioned your children coming home restored? Have you envisioned the miracle that God obviously can provide? Then start. I have said the lady, start seeing your husband standing at our altar with his hands raised, blessing God. Until you see it, you're probably not going to experience it. Until you see it through faith. Faith is when you don't have anything. Faith starts with zero level, but it sees it through the eye of possibility. And it says, as we learned last week, it can say to yonder mountain, remove hence, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible to us. There is a spiritual law we can receive to the extent that we can believe. Matthew 9, 29, according to your faith, so be it unto you. Has nothing to do with your position in the church. Has nothing to do with the longevity of your conversion experience. Your walk with God, it has everything to do with your ability to see it through the eye of faith. According to your faith, be it unto you. Matthew 21, 22 says, if you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. Hallelujah. Five shall chase a hundred and a hundred will put ten thousand to flight. Oh, the power there is in prayer as we visualize God helping us to take this whole city. Have you ever pictured it? God giving us this city? I mean a revival that will spread like wildfire. Can you see it? Until you see it, it will not happen. It is our responsibility to start picturing what it is that we want God to do. And as He sees we can handle it, it will come pouring out of His bountiful storehouse. Faith says it's ours. We lay hold of it. In his name. Now finally, pray without ceasing, number five. What does that mean? Well, it means occupy yourself in prayer all of the time. Well, how can I do that? Well, when you're waiting on the telephone for somebody to be summoned, why don't you pray? Are you like I am, you hate red lights? Do you sneak through once in a while to avoid stopping? So do I. I have an aversion to those lights. Chaplain Carruthers, in the first book he wrote on praise, called Prison to Praise, talked about his frustration and God speaking to him as he sat at a red light, frustrated. God said, why don't you do something while you're sitting there? Well, he said, what can I do? He said, do you see that man walking across the street at the crosswalk? Yes, pray for him, he needs help. So he began to pray for him. And such a spirit of warmth flooded his being. And so he started red light prayer time. Standing at the kitchen sink with the dishes instead of looking at the soap operas, pray. Instead of listening to Rush Limbaugh Pray. When sitting in the waiting room, pray. Bounce prayers off of people's heads. See what God will do. Pray without ceasing. That's what it means. Occupy what we call blank time with prayer. Communion. With God. Not a new language, remember. Simplicity. Bouncing prayers off of people. Off of situations. Utilizing that time at stoplights or wherever to practice the presence of the Almighty. And as we do it as a church, five, chase a hundred and... A hundred put 10,000 to flight. Isn't that terrific? And think of what our 6 a.m. prayer meetings could be if there were 100, 200 chasing 10,000, 20,000. Oh, people, the call of God in this hour is a call to prayer. And it's not complicated It's not pious. It's not difficult. It is simplistic conversation with God, believing that He is a rewarder of those that seek Him. Prayer. Communion with God. Now, if you can't remember those five steps, as I say, they are on tape outside the door. But get them into your spirit. Now, in California history, gold rush history, there is the name Henry Comstock. Henry Comstock laid claim to a silver deposit in Virginia City, Nevada, in 1859. Before long, he was offered $11,000 for his claim, and he sold it. But he sold out too soon. During the following 30 years, the Comstock load provided $340 million in silver deposit, the greatest silver deposit in the history of the United States. I read that little part out of our history and I thought, Lord, that is just like prayer. We quit. We sell out like Judas. We we sell out And then we come back and it's too late. Somebody else has gotten the claim. And poor old Henry Comstock could have had 340 million and settled for 11,000. That's what our text is saying to me today. Five will chase a hundred. A hundred will chase 10,000. If we decide it's going to be a lifestyle. If we decide we're going to pray first. If we decide we're going to let God be God in our lives, in our church, in our families, in our community, and we will pray about everything and do it without ceasing. The potential is absolutely astronomical. Church, it's time to pray. What you read in your bulletin when it says prayer ought to get our utmost attention, it ought to draw us together because just five can chase a hundred and just a hundred can chase 10,000. Woo! The devil shakes at that possibility. Otherwise, he stands around with his hands like this saying, nothing will happen here. They do not mean it. They're not serious about it. Would you like to get serious? There are so many needs as I began my message. Job needs, husband beatings, husband adultery, and wives in some cases. All kinds of sickness. Prayer can turn all of those enemies to flight. We practice the teaching of his word. I ask you to join me. and Let's become what we can become through the power of prayer. Shall so we do it right now? Before we close, every head bowed, nobody leaving until we have pronounced the benediction. Some of you here with our heads bowed and our eyes closed need to pray the sinner's prayer God, be merciful to me, a sinner. It's your day to come into the kingdom of God. The Holy Spirit comes to you now in conviction and says, it's time for you to receive Jesus into your life and to have your sins forgiven. Could I pray for you? I'd like you to raise your hand and by that hand say, Pastor, yes, I'm a candidate. Here's my hand. God bless you, sir, right here in front of me. Thank you. You may put your hand down once I've seen it. Raise it up until I do. Thank you over here. God bless you back on the left side. See your hand there. Back here another under the balcony and another back there and another over on my right and far over. Thank you on this side. God bless you. Up in the balcony. Any up there as I look up into the balcony. Lift your hand. Yes, over on my left. Thank you. He cares about us. Yes, on the right. Thank you up there. God bless you. On the lower floor, another over here. God bless you. Thank God for these that are raising their hand. And how many of the rest of you would like to say, Pastor, I need to get into this thing of prayer, and I appreciate the effective steps to prayer. God helping me, I'm going to apply them. Would you like to lift up your hand just to say by that hand, yes, I'm going to do it. God helping me. God helping me. God bless you. Father, As we bow before you in Jesus' name, we pray for miracles of salvation, miracles of conversion in the lives of those who raise their hands. Come to them now, O God, with grace and mercy and save their souls. May they know that your love reaches them where they are. And then help us all to pray as we should. Help us to have that intimacy with you, Lord, where at any time of day or night we can just talk to you like friend with friend. Help us to do it, Lord. And Lord, I feel compelled to pray for people in this audience who need to get things right with somebody else. There is that ill will. There is that resentment. Oh, God, give us the grace to straighten it out so that our prayers will not be hindered be it between husband and wife or between friends or relatives of any kind. Help us to obey your word. And we'll thank you for touching us. Help us to be the church we ought to be in the world, powerful, like an army with banners, chasing the enemy. Teach us to pray. In Jesus' name we ask this. Amen. Would you stand with me, please? Everybody standing. Those of you who raised your hand, I'd like you to come down front. I have a booklet and a a tape that I want you to have. I want you to come and say by coming, I want to make public my testimony of conversion. It'll be easy for you to get to the aisle. Just come on down. One of our workers will be here to help you. If you need water baptism, I want you to come over by the flag. Tonight's water baptismal can include you. As we sing, common staff, please greet these as they come. At sing and you come as we sing, please.